you. Welcome to Burnt Out to Badass. This is a podcast all about telling amazing stories of people who have recovered from burned out and reclaimed their inner badassery. I didn't pick these people because of what they do, but instead of who they are. I love getting into the grunge of the story and then re-witnessing what it's like to come out of the dark night of the soul. I love walking through the journey with them and then celebrating where they are today. It's not perfect, but it's imperfectly marvelous. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Wiseman, and today I am talking with a fellow colleague and one of my business BFFs, Kelly Thompson. Kelly is on a mission to help women advance and to make impact in the rooms where decisions are made. She helps people advance their career with clarity and confidence. She's an amazing friend. She's an amazing mom, wife, and not just that. She has the qualifications to follow her. More than 10 plus years in leadership, 15 years coaching and training, lots of certifications, and most importantly, she's a coffee drinker too. Okay, well, let's get into our conversation today. Welcome to the podcast, my fellow coach, friend, all-around badass, Kelly Thompson. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Tell the people out in podcasting world a little bit about yourself and the magic you put out into the world. Sounds good. So Kelly Thompson, I am a women's leadership coach, writer, and speaker, actively working on my first book, which is tentatively supposed to be out in September, which is called Closing the Confidence Gap. And I'm a mom of a 16-year-old, and uh, she works two jobs. So we already have to have the burnout conversation, Erin. We can talk about that. And I'm married to my amazing husband, Jason, and we've been married since 2018. I spent over 15 years in the corporate world, working in banking, finance, technology, leadership consulting before I leapt out on my own in 2019 to coach women. So here I am. Here you are. And we met in a mastermind group and have been BFF since. And you're not only on here because you're my best friend, but you're on here because you really are a leading expert when it comes to women's leadership in corporate. And so the topic that we are rolling around today is the invisible workload of women at work contributing to their professional burnout. Tell me about an example in your life where this had bubbled up for you. So the biggest one that I can think of, and maybe some of you have been here, but when I was in corporate America, every year we supported a nonprofit organization and fundraiser. In our organization, it was the United Way. In your organization, it might be the JDRF or you know something else. And I want to start this by saying that there is nothing wrong with organizations raising money and contributing to, you know, um, community and social projects. It's wonderful. I mean, this is how nonprofits honestly make a good chunk of their money. I think organizations have a responsibility in the community to support these networks. And, you know, one of the things I noticed was that a lot of people, typically women, were tapped to lead this effort. And one year, I got the look of the draw amongst 5,000 employees that I was going to be the leader of the annual United Way campaign. And, you know, what they don't tell you is how much time this takes out of your normal workday, because you're basically leading an organization-wide 
matrix project, right? Where you're not technically anybody's boss, but if you've ever worked in a matrix organization, it takes a lot more time to influence people to get on board, to attend meetings, to stay engaged. And, you know, with this United Way project, I would say I was probably spending at least four hours per week during this 12-week time frame on this project. And, you know, there was good and bad of it. The good, you know, executives start to know your name, right? So that's great. The bad is you're spending an extra four, maybe sometimes 10 hours a week on this project, garnering resources, typing emails, sending out emails, sitting in meetings, trying to get people to meetings, going to the events, raising all the money, putting it on the internet, like all the things that have to happen, right? Trying to convince people to get excited about raising money for something. And what I don't think I realized at the time was although I spent this extra effort, and yes, maybe now the CEO knew what my, my name was for maybe three whole months, it didn't really do anything for me at performance review time. So when the annual performance review came and you know, you they ask you to do like a self-evaluation and you list all the things that you're a part of. I mean, yeah, I was part of the United Way, but when it came to like compensation or getting a better rating that would impact my raise. It really wasn't factored into any of that. I didn't have a name for it at the time, though. Like nobody was talking about the unpaid workload of women at that time. I mean, we're talking year 2014 was probably this biggest effort. And so I didn't have any language for it. And so I remember feeling frustrated that I was like, well, this kind of sucks that I've spent all this time and energy and effort in addition to my job. And I've worked my ass off and we exceeded our United Way goals, but like it wasn't really going to do anything for me career-wise. Now they say it would give me exposure, but did it really give me the exposure that I hoped for? No, the bank president didn't remember my name six months later. So, you know, that's kind of my biggest experience with the unpaid workload of women. Um, But it can just be other things. Like when we had corporate meetings, who would tend to take on the ownership of organizing all that stuff? It was women right? You know, note-taking, if you've ever even noticed who tends to take notes in meetings, it tends to be women. So it's just some of these little like office and household tasks that I think women either volunteer for or are voluntold for um, that can lead up to all of this extra work that at the end of the day just doesn't really return an investment in review or bonuses. So absolutely. It's a great example. The one I can think of in my life is being asked to arrange the Christmas presents for all the office staff. Or when I was asked to start taking over from the office manager, the um, carry-in list. And I was like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And so it sounds like for you from the inside, you felt that resistance. You felt that resentment. You felt that misalignment of values and for what you put in and put you what you put out. How do you think it felt from the outsider? Were you trying to your past self like trying to be something different on the outside, thinking that it would get you ahead? You know, how it looked from the outside, maybe to other people, I I'm sure I probably came across as like had my shit together, cool, calm, collected. Um, an achiever said yes to things, you know, I'm sure that's probably what I wanted other people to think as an Enneagram five. If y'all are familiar with the Enneagram, I wanted to be seen as competent. Like don't screw this up was the whole thing that I had in my head was like, don't screw this up because if you screw this up, then people are going to know that you're like not cut out for this, that you're just stupid and you're not capable for this. So I think like a lot of the things of what outwardly, what people saw was probably 
the cool, calm, collected, she has her stuff together. But what was happening on the inside was like this constant, like, like, keep it together, keep it together. Don't screw up. Got to be competent. Don't let people see you sweat, that sort of thing. And so I think sometimes burnout is hard because even when, you know, or even just overworking is hard because I think people who overwork are also really good at hiding it until the breaking point happens. And then people are like, oh, oh my gosh, is everything okay? And you're, you know, they're like, I haven't been okay for five months, you know, but yeah, I think it, it goes back to the work is our drug and like, it's okay till it's not okay. Just like every addiction, <laughs> it's okay till it's not okay. And then you, you see somebody lying in the floor on a, and as a crispy mess because they were using work to validate their worth as a person. So for me, going back to that experience of getting the Christmas presents, like at the time I just was like, oh, that would be the best thing to do because I'm the female doctor in the practice and that's what we do. We care about people. And I think a little part of me is like, if I do this for the staff, they will treat me better um, because there was some gender bias happening against me or um, they will help me out more or they will go to bat for me. It didn't happen either. How about for you? Was there like a a moment, either like a rock bottom or a eureka moment when you realized that this extra work that you're doing was not meeting the goals? You know, it was like a bigger life moment. So like, let's just walk back from like a 50,000 foot view. So I was working in corporate and taking on all the volunteer activities, right? Like I'll lead the United Way. I'll, you know, help plan this thing. I'll step up for that. Um, But I was also teaching management classes at the university at night. And so I was working, working, working. In fact, I was just typing this section in my book about how I was sitting in a meeting and it was 3 p.m. And I was so hangry that I was having that moment because I was back to back to back to back to back. I hadn't had lunch. And I was sitting in that meeting and I was like having one of those moments where I'm like, let's just effing say yes to everything. I don't care if I agree with it or not, because I got to get out of here so I can get some lunch because I'm already panicking about how I had meetings up until five o'clock. And then in order to beat traffic, I'd have to leave the last meeting early so I could get 20 minutes across town to hopefully swing through the drive-through so I could actually eat because I hadn't eaten yet before I have to walk into a lecture hall full of students. And it was just like that constant rat race. And you talk about work being your drug. I think sometimes, yes, we can get all into overworking because we have like an internal ego need, whether it's competence, achievement. Some people love the intensity of a busy schedule, right? Because it just keeps them busy. But for me, like my home life was a hot mess. I finally filed for divorce because my that husband was just not nice and had some habits that weren't awesome, struggled with some addiction. And what I realized was in my rock bottom was that all of that saying yes and that overworking was almost a response. That overworking was a response to just numb everything that was going on at home. Because if I was overworking, then I wouldn't have to face just how horrible of a situation I was in, in my marriage. And that was an aha for me. Because then when I was divorced and all of a sudden my life was peaceful at home, that's when I felt out of balance. I was like, oh my gosh, like I actually want to come home and I don't want to work because I don't have drama at home. Right. So for me, that's when the aha was. It was after I got divorced and my home life was great. I wanted to spend more time at home and I was like, oh crap, I got to start saying no to some stuff at work. And I don't, I have a feeling that my story might not all be that all uncommon. So. 
Right. Absolutely. Who or what was instrumental in your journey and helping to unpack the the saying yes to everything and all the invisible workload? You know, I don't know if it was a who so much as it was a what. I remember that when I was leaving that organization and, you know, my marriage was ending, I was just having one of like, it's probably like a 30 life crisis, a third life crisis. Like I, this job isn't right for me. Um, I'd gotten into another relationship and I called up the wedding and I was like, okay, there's a common denominator in some of this stuff and it's me. And so I just started journaling a lot. And it was through that journaling that I really helped to discover a few things. One, what are my non-negotiables? Like, what are the things that I stand for? In fact, if you would talk about a what, um, Hamilton, the musical had come out in 2016. And so one of the lines from Hamilton was going around the internet as a meme. And it's Hamilton to Aaron Burr. And he says, if you don't know what you stand for, what will you fall for? And I was like, oh my gosh, it's me. I'm like, I've been falling for everything, just saying yes, trying to stay busy so I don't have to face all the crap that's going on at home. And it was just through some of that self-reflection and that journaling, and I'm sure it was some of the books I was reading, I got really clear about what my core values were. And that's what helped me say no. Like it, like it all of a sudden was like crystal clear. I was like, oh, if this isn't in alignment with my values and my mission, the answer is no. If these people aren't in alignment with my values and my mission, it is no, right? This job, this project. And I wouldn't say that it was a flash in the pan overnight. I mean, it probably was like a six to nine month process of like self-discovery and testing and learning and naming my values. But once that was clear, it was like a line in the sand and it became so easy. And I haven't struggled with a lot of boundary stuff since. I still make mistakes. I say yes to things because I think I want it because of money for my business. or that looks like a good opportunity. And I'm like, oh crap, I should have said no. But I would say it happens far less than it used to. Like now I'm the type of person like at 5 PM, like laptop shut. Nope. We're spending time with family. And I I couldn't have, I wouldn't have said that about myself when my daughter was little. Absolutely. And so I asked you on the podcast because this is one of your superpowers that you now help other professional women. And so you kind of outlined it again, but, but say it more for that woman who's vibing with us, who is like, Oh my God, this is exactly me. How do I get unburied from this? How do I have free open space autonomy in my life again? Yep, for sure. So the first thing I like to share, because I'm a facts girl, I love my data, is I always love sharing some data because I think it just helps us kind of open our eyes and gives us language to something we haven't had language to before, which I didn't have language for it before. So here's some really interesting research. So according to um, Harvard Business Review, women receive 44% more requests to volunteer at work than men, right? So these are these volunteer things like Aaron, get the presents, lead the United Way, like organize the party, like whatever that looks like, take the notes. And so then when decision time comes, 51% of the time men say yes to those requests, but 76% of women say yes. So men get asked to volunteer, but they say no more often, right? And, you know, I think the other thing too is, you know, a lot of these are what they call non-promotable tasks. So there's things that we're saying yes to, but when it comes to review time, mm, nope, like it's not going to be. And that's why I think so many organizations now are paying people to be part of employee resource groups because they recognize that there's such a gender pay gap. And even these volunteer activities perpetuate that. So I think education is the first thing. And that's what I would tell my clients. I'm just thinking of a client that I, um, she's a new client of mine. 
She works in the finance industry. And we've been talking and talk about someone who has no white space on her calendar. She's so talented. And she has the curse of the strong, talented woman. A strong, talented woman, who do you go to when you need to get shit done? You go to the strong, talented woman, right? And because you think they're capable and like, oh, I have to give it to Tracy because I know Tracy can handle it, right? And because, you know, she identifies as a strong woman, sometimes I used to say this. I said, you know what? I'm strong. I can tolerate a lot. I can tolerate a lot. But the problem was, is I wasn't discerning about what I tolerated. I wasn't discerning about the best yeses. I just said, oh, I can take it. I can take it. And that is sometimes the profile of someone who just takes on too much. So the first thing that we work on is we just talk about what is your kind of your, just the vision for your career and your life in the next year? Where do you want to be by this time next year? And what are your top three goals? And it just kind of starts to give, give us that layer of discernment, right? Like is what you're saying yes to in alignment with who you want to be at this time next year. So it's almost starting that identity conversation. Then we're like talking about your core values. What are your core values? It's another like layer of discernment between is this yes in alignment with your values. And then we're talking about your unique skills. Like what have you been put on this earth to do? Because I, a lot of what I believe burns people out and I can speak from this from experience is saying yes to too much work that drains you. I say you have energy suckers, stallers, and sergers. And a lot of times we get stuck in the energy sucker zone. We get things, we take on things um, because there was no one left to do it or someone left. And it literally drains the life out of us. And it's no wonder we're sober now. And we don't spend enough time in what I call our energy surger zone, which is the work that like lights you up, makes you feel totally magnetic because it like totally fits your skill profile. And you're so excited to just dig in and all those sorts of things. And so as you start to get a clearer picture of like, what are my goals? Who do I want to be at this time next year? What are my values? And am am I saying yes to the right things in alignment with my values? And then finally, like, what are my unique skills and talents? And am I saying yes to the things that honor those? Because I promise you, and like I tell, tell myself and all my clients, the things that you're taking on and saying yes to, because you feel like you have to, that suck your energy are in someone else's energy surge zone. Like don't steal from them. Delegate it, dump it, delegate it, outsource it, find people. And so those are usually the first three things that we're working on, along with even just some of the mindset trash that comes with saying no. You know, we tell ourselves lots of stories about why we can't say no. And so we really just have to ask ourselves, is like, is that the story or is that reality? So that's usually where we're starting. Yeah, it kind of goes with my Aaron Sass that I say, like, if it's not a hell yes, then it's a hell no. And like letting that be your basement and your foundation, because at first there's just so much like peeling off you have to do. And and I think too, like really confronting that like shame and guilt layer, like, oh, but if I tell them no, then who's going to do it or what's going to happen to this project or, and, and really just being so fiercely compassionate of yourself and being like, at this time, this is what I need to do. Maybe in the future that can come back on board for me and like reminding yourself so that guilt and shame don't sit on your shoulders as you're really trying to get very clear. Because what I found and what led to my burnout is I was trying to contort myself into a shape for which everyone else was putting expectations, um, goals, boundaries on me. And I was a square peg trying to fit in a round hole. 
it was just not going to work. But I had forgotten I was a square peg. And Mm -hmm. in my mind, I was a round peg and I should fit in there. And then, you know, I started shooting all over myself. But it was never going to work until I intimately came home to myself and knew who I was so that I could advocate and say, yeah, that's not for me. But you need to go talk to Sally because she's awesome at it. Yeah. When you learn to start saying no and just even own that, you know what, I'm going to disappoint some people and that's okay. Like I literally had to write that in my journal. I, I will disappoint some people and that's okay because I would rather disappoint someone else than continue disappointing myself. That was a huge mindset switch for me. And just knowing that you know what, that's okay. And when you start to taste a little bit of that freedom that comes with saying no, I'm just warning you, it might be a little addicting. Try it for yourself and see what happens. I don't know. I saw an Instagram post recently that said um, the people who are loudest whenever you set your boundaries are the ones who benefit more when you don't have those boundaries. 100%. Yep. And so that's why I had to remind myself, like, what are they getting off of me by me saying no instead of saying yes? Because the people who love you and trust you and are your closest friends and allies, they're like, okay. I could see that, you know, no big deal. They might be a little bit disappointed, but like at the end of the day, it doesn't change their opinion of you. So you you really have to, I think, advocate yourself in this way and look at the no as an advocation. Look at it as a way of propelling yourself to that professional future that you're working towards because so many times I got stuck on the hamster wheel thinking I was going as fast as I could and it was getting me nowhere. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, at the end of the day, I always tell women, and I've learned this myself, like trust yourself, trust your body, like listen to your body's energy. Like when you get a request, it is okay for you to say, you've given me a lot to think about. Let me think about that. And I'll get back to you in 24 hours. And I just like go in. And like you said, if it's not like a, a heck yes, it's a hell no. It's do I even feel excited about that in my body? Do I feel open and fizzy and excited? Right. Or does that give me that feeling of like constriction and dread and like, Listen to your body. Your body is trustworthy. And I think that's another really important point. You don't have to give an immediate answer because sometimes these requests come in sneaky ways to throw you off. And by saying, that's my rule is like, I have to sleep on every decision. I I just need to take the time. It needs to be a new day. And I don't, I don't make decisions on Fridays. It will be Monday or Tuesday before I get back to it. That's just how it is. And so I think rewriting those rules that make us say like, oh, but they need an answer now. Mm, If they need an answer now, then they'll go figure out a solution. They're grown ass adults. Like they can figure it out. Even in the medical world, like very rarely are things instantaneously decided. Usually you can take a little bit of time. And I think that's an important point to allow us in this is that, and the other one I want to say too, is that you're allowed to change your mind. Mm -hmm. What used to be your yes can now be your no. I know that's a powerful one that you talk about too. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're always learning and growing. I don't believe things I used to believe five years ago, you know, and I always think like people pin that on politicians, like they change their stance. I'm like, I hope they change their stance. Cause like we all learn and grow and evolve and we all recognize, you know, where we've made decisions that weren't in alignment with our values. We get new information. Like that is literally science people like science is like, I have an hypothesis I want to test. 
I'm going to test the hypothesis. I'm going to get real-time data, right? And I'm going to stay open to that data. And I might say, yes, I was correct. Or actually, you know what? This doesn't work as well in reality as I thought. Like that is literally science. It's not like I'm going to be this way. I'm going to be this way forever. It's like, I'm always going to be staying open to new data, to new ways, to new approaches and all these sorts of things. Field research. So exactly what it is. We're all doing field research on our own life. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, if people are loving what you have to say, where are the best places for them to come hang out with you? So I love LinkedIn mostest. Um, You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Kelly Thompson. I'm Kelly with an I. I'm LinkedIn forward slash Kelly Ray Thompson. And I also love to be on Instagram. Um, You can also check out my website at kellyraythompson.com. And I send out a weekly blog newsletter. So there's ways you can go in and check that out. And I talk about burnout several times a year, along with other sorts of women's leadership topics. And now's a good time to stay in touch because I'm talking about my book that's going to be coming up. So I'm looking forward to that. You're badass, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, talking with me. All that information is going to be in the show notes. And the badass in me honors the badass in you, friend. Thanks, Eric. I'm always so thrilled to share these stories that are so transformative that encourage, inspire, and infuse all of us with hope and inspiration. If you need some more of that in your life, come hang out with me at burntouttobadass.com. Check the show notes. We got lots of great resources, and I would love to see you in there. All right. And don't forget, my friend, the badass in me honors the badass in you. I'm coming, better watch out I'm coming